When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why did David Griffin say it was a nightmare being GM in Cleveland? What awesome games are on the schedule next season? Who is the class of the East? The only question left is, say it with me, you in? Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. We are knee-deep into the summer, and I've gotten Jared Weiss out of the pool to come talk to me today for a few minutes or a little while. Jared, have you have you tiled off yet? Who says I'm not in the pool? Oh. I'm, I'm waterproof podcasting right now. <laughs> All right. Well, you can hear the waves in the background. So we're talking about some stuff. There's not a lot of things going on, certainly basketball related, but certainly David Griffin, the new GM of the New Orleans Pelicans, has been in the news a little bit recently. And uh, I think we need to react to what he was talking about. Is it miserable to have to work with LeBron James? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the when the public gets a quote, it tends to misconstrue it. It's, uh, I think the public is undefeated in pulling that one off. And so I think if you look at what Griffin is saying, Griffin, and not even talking about what he said when he went on the jump and tried to you know, do damage control, but the main thing that he was talking about wasn't that LeBron James himself is terrible to work with, because we all know, I think everyone knows that's not the case. LeBron is he, he wields a dangerous amount of power within an organization for a player to yield, or I guess the most power any players ever wielded individually, but he's like a good guy and he's not trying to screw the team over. His sole focus has been winning championships this entire time. I mean, obviously there's a lot of ind- individual stuff he wants, but like the guy's goal has been to win titles. He, and he does favor his clutch uh, clients or I guess other clients on the clutch agency that he technically does not own apparently, but like he's done some of that stuff. But overall, like his goal has been to win the title every year and he's miserable every time he doesn't win the title. So his goals are aligned with the front office and all these places that he's going to pretty much. But I think the main issue that Griff is trying to speak to is that when you're in that situation, it's really hard to manage everybody else in the room. And the ownership situation was a huge part of that. And, you know, there were some deals that they did for clutch clients that were not smart deals. And the J.R. Smith deal didn't work out. Shump didn't work out. Um, Tristan Thompson, you know, for a little while was probably worth it, but overall was not. And I think a big thing was just that he wanted to be more fiscally prudent and was being told by ownership that you got to pay these guys and keep them happy and keep LeBron happy. And that doomed them in the end because the team just couldn't hold up skill-wise because of that. So it, I think what he was saying is that all of those factors created kind of a clusterfuck situation for him as a general manager that put him under way more pressure than most general managers should be under as far as amount of autonomy that they have to build and control the roster as they see fit. Sure. Now, I, I think one of the quotes he wrote was, or he said was, Everything we did was so inorganic and unsustainable and, frankly, not fun. 
And I guess the, the fun he's talking about is, is scouting and finding diamonds in the rough and developing young players into good players and, and having some timeline, timeline that's not just tomorrow has to be done. And I get that to some degree because you'd argue that, well, isn't every GM, you know, working to get a title? Isn't that sort of what their deal is? And I suppose, I guess it's, 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 a, it's a timeline issue is, is when are you trying to build this thing? And I feel like certainly what he's fallen into in New Orleans is exactly what he wanted because now he's got a young team. He can develop them, uh, but they are really good already. And he easily could have, I mean, can we argue that he did the best uh, superstar trade and gotten in return than anyone has ever had in the league? Uh, for a couple of weeks. Yes. Uh Oh, what was the other one then? <laughs> well, then I, I think the Paul George trade uh, might, might've been better. Uh, right. Well, okay. It's, here's a question. Do we have to judge that by the draft picks? We do, right? Yeah. I mean the Laker trade, cause you're getting a comparable pick package and you're getting three, I'd say probably two very good prospects and one solid rotation prospect. So yeah, that, that, that like that AD trade is probably the biggest haul ever. Um, yeah. I can't think yeah. of anything I mean, that's it's clearly like better. Best, even if it's not like biggest, cause you know, even like when Kareem got traded, like the, even when you do those, like they, they, they never panned out for the other team. Um, I mean, there's the Mikhail Robert Parrish trade, you know, the, the uh, yes, you know, there's, there's, but that trade changed. The, it completely reshaped the leverage and negotiation in the NBA for sure. And it became apparent very quickly when you look at how many draft picks were given up for Westbrook and for Paul George this summer. Yeah. I mean, the price just dramatically increased immediately to right. a level that we never thought was going to happen again after the Celtics Nets trade. Sure. Well, uh, yeah. So, so I think he's the bottom line here is, is David Griffin's probably like hanging out by a pool right now, sipping some pina coladas, relaxing, reflecting. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think it's fun. I mean, you know, Kevin Durant had talked about what it was like swirling around LeBron and being in that organization. And I know he might have tried to walk it back too. Uh, do you remember what he said? It was a little bit uh, inflammatory, uh, madhouse, whatever the word he used. You know what I'm talking about? Kevin Durant said that. Yeah, he weighed in and said it was uh, something. It's ridiculous there. And I, I, you know, I think he just sort of meant it's the circus in and around LeBron just by being LeBron. But there, there might have been a little bit of yeah. indication that just like the way LeBron wants things to run is also really, really, really difficult. And you can argue that he deserves to be able to do that and run it any way he wants because he is that good. But, you know, it does cause a lot of tension and issues inside of the locker room. And we saw that Kyrie wanted to leave uh, most likely because of that uh, or certainly part of that. And um and uh, that, that kind of thing. So I feel like it's, it was, it's all mixed together. And whether David Griffin is going to sort of smooth it over now, uh, there's, there's some truth to the inflammatory version of it as well, I imagine, that deals with him and LeBron and how that all works and the owner and, and Gilbert. So um, interesting. Always fun in the, in the offseason to go through this and pick it apart. Yeah, and I, I don't know if the Gilbert part is something that's been talked about publicly, but that's a, I mean, basically it was – Dan Gilbert saying we need to pay these guys. And the irony is Dan Gilbert's looked at as a bad owner, but unlike most bad owners, his issue is not that he's not willing to spend money. It's that he gets too attached and wants to throw money at everything. And 
throwing money at everything is not always the prudent move. And that team, it was very apparent when they were handing out those deals that their shelf life was going to be really short and they were going to really risk losing LeBron. And then you just saw how the talent just fell off a cliff for them in the last couple of years there. Yeah. And I, I do want to give David Griffin some credit because he did pull off some really important trades that didn't seem possible to upgrade. It didn't seem possible the rest of the NBA would want to help them. And yet there were a number of those trades in the very, very short term that you had to scratch your head and say, how did he pull that off? So he deserves that credit. But I guess it, it was by, by that nature, it was so difficult and so stress, uh, stressful that uh, that's mostly what I'm sure he's talking about and how we had to pull this off. But he did. And so I, I give him kudos for that, for sure. That's a big thing that I think that GMs in Pat, like uh, on, of teams that are really at the top don't get enough credit for is that you're right. Every team around the league generally looks at those teams and says, we don't want to give them anything. We don't want to be the one that gives them that one piece that allows them to take that step forward. And it's really hard work as someone in David Griffin's position to find that one team that's like, you know what? We're not going to be competing for a little while. So we're willing to part with this piece and to be able to get that player and be able to make the price pretty palatable because the leverage that that team that has a player has, they, they have pretty significant leverage over the contending team. And so like Kyle Korver trade was, I think, a trade that, I mean, they paid a pretty price for it, but I think was the right move, even if Kyle Korver, his impact probably isn't that high anymore. It's still high enough, even if he is no longer that effective of a score. I mean, like the, the amount to just... You know, the fit that it gives the defense is so significant that it's generally worth it. So, you know, the, you know those are the prices that they had to pay. Even the J.R. Smith deal at the time, I thought, was was good and, and helped um, help the, the Cavs more than it helped the Knicks when they traded him. So, uh, sure. you know, again, it's just a head scratcher. And I remember thinking then, like, you know, how, why were the why are they willing to do it? But then again, it was the, the one team. And by the way, seeing as though uh, J.R. Smith torpedoed a key loss um, with uh, not not putting the ball back, uh, maybe the Knicks knew what they were talking about by uh, by you know not helping the Cavs by getting him over there. So either way, <laughs> you know, but yeah, J.R. I mean, J.R. is one of the most erratic players in NBA history, right? I mean, he's there were nights where he could drop forty for you, and he looked like an All NBA caliber player. There were nights where his defense was amazing, and then there were nights where he looked like he had no idea what sport he was playing. That's how J.R. is. Um, but I think on the aggregate, he was a positive player for Cleveland for the most part. Yeah, I think sure. he was a, he was a pretty good contributor. Yeah, that's true. And I just feel like it's inevitable that he do something that costs you a game. And it's hard to have that kind of uncertainty around your team. And it's what you want to avoid when you're hiring as well. That's where a ZipRecruiter comes in. You can avoid the stacks of resumes by letting ZipRecruiter send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. Then utilize their powerful matching technology to invite qualified people to apply. They'll analyze each one and spotlight the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-R-E-A-K-D-O-W-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash breakdown. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Well, let's move on to another news item from today that dropped about the scheduling. Uh, some exciting new matchups are coming out here. 
And Jared, why don't you drive and tell us uh, what we want to look at first? Okay, so we have the L.A. matchup on Christmas Day, which is amazing. I think the I'd imagine David Cern is probably doing some sort of dance somewhere hearing that one. Uh, And then Pelicans and Nuggets is the game that I'm most interested in that day. Well, I'm sure many of our listeners probably agree. Celtics will visit the Raptors that day. Bucks will be at the Sixers and then the Rockets will be at the Warriors and Christmas Day. So, you know, probably no clay for that one, most likely. Fair enough. Um, I mean, yeah, we don't we'll, really we'll, we don't really know what his timetable is yet, but we kind of I think we could assume it's probably around the All Star break, if not later. Yeah. So, but huh. that'd still be really exciting. So, I guess which game is the one that excites you the most from a matchup perspective? Well, I like it. We got the old and the new. We got so we got the Warriors and the Rockets as a the grudge match, uh, you know, from the last several years. But I don't know. I, I have to think that the L.A. you know the Clippers Lakers matchup is going to be the most interesting one and, and fun just because. If it plays out the way we think, you know, these are going to be, well, certainly the Clippers should come in higher than the Lakers, and the Lakers have something to prove, you know, all these different things. But who knows? The, the Lakers could, could, you know, surprise us all, and the Clippers could struggle a little bit in the beginning. So that, to me, might be the most interesting thing because there you have, you know, two guys that can guard LeBron and cause problems for him. And um, on, the, on the flip side, he's going to have to guard one of them. You know, he's going to have to guard either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. I don't see any way around it. And... Um, you know, that, that's what I've been looking for is, is, is there going to be moments when LeBron's going to have to guard a really good offensive player and, and actually, you know, bring it on the defensive end? Would you assume that because Danny Green knows Kawhi so well that Danny would be the one to guard him for the most part? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, uh, let's see here. I mean, who else do they have at this point anyway? Um, so then that would put LeBron on, on Paul George. Yikes. That, that's, I mean, that's going to be fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. It's going to be probably like what Rondo and Green, and then uh, LeBron and um, Boogie, Kuzma and, uh, and AD. Oh You're no, forgetting I Kuzma. About Kuzma. Okay, yeah. sorry. So it's going to be Rondo and Kuzma, and then Boogie will start. Was Boogie going to start alongside AD and LeBron? Probably as a he's probably going to start. So maybe okay. Green comes off the bench, or they just don't start Rondo, and they just have LeBron bring the ball up. Yeah. Um, yeah, they have some flexibility. Wow. I mean, the problem is if it's so if it's Danny Green or Avery Bradley, technically with LeBron, Kuzma, AD and Boogie, you have no other ball handlers in that lineup. There's no one. I mean, like, obviously, Boogie and AD are great, you know, handling the ball for uh, for big men. But um, Kuzma hasn't shown much. I don't think I don't think he's shown enough playmaking capability for me to be comfortable with him as running point. And then obviously guys like Danny Green and Avery Bradley have always been off ball shooting guards. So right. that I think that just puts too much pressure on LeBron to be the only initiator out there. It makes the offense probably too predictable. Then again, LeBron has been the initi- the primary initiator on most possessions of his career anyway. But I guess at his age, it's probably a very important part of making him last through the season is to try to keep him on the floor where he can switch up who's the primary initiator most of the time. So right. that does kind of put them in a tough position. I mean, ADs just has to play center, right? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm so tired of all these bigs that say they don't want to play the five. It's so frustrating. Well, but then also it does pose problems for the Clippers because, you know, Paul George is going to have to try and guard AD. And that, that's going to be very difficult for him down low. They're going to post him up and, t- and take him on. And, you know, uh, Kawhi can guard LeBron well. We know that. But uh, that's, that's an interesting issue. And then if they throw Boogie out there, then you're going to have to put, you know, um, uh, oh my goodness, um, 
Who's the big center Zubac. from what? Zubats. Zubats. Zubats out there at the guard boogie, which you know might not be horrible. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not. I'm not feeling like it's gonna be. He can get destroyed, but it might not be great. So it's interesting because yeah, both teams seem to have certain areas where they can hurt the other team. Uh, and then it comes down to yeah, the role players. So now you're talking about like what's Patrick Beverly gonna be able to do, and uh, versus you know what's Danny Green gonna do. And I don't know. I kind of still feel like the Clippers have have that. You know, uh, Landry, uh, Landry, um, Landry. Shaman. Landry Shamit, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, they, they they might have a better overall team and pieces that fit together, and that's probably what's going to would lead me right now to say, oh, the Clippers will still have the advantage overall. But uh, it's it's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, the Clippers' depth is maybe the best in the NBA, which is why it's just so remarkable they just added, you know, arguably the two best wings in the NBA last year. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's what I love about that matchup so much. It, like you're saying, this is a very much a battle. It's it's fire meeting fire with these two teams. You know, these two teams do not match up evenly. There are two very distinctive combinations of lineups there. This, you know, the the Clippers presumably are going to be a small team. I mean, they of course could put Harrell at the four when they need to. Also, if they need, if that's how they want to counter. Um, oh yeah. The the bigs. Uh, with the Lakers or they could use Jermichael green. They tended to do that and keep Harrell coming off the bench. So like they, you know, the Clippers can match up with the Lakers while the Lakers would definitely struggle to match up with the Clippers. Um, but I, I just, I'm hoping that these two teams are not going to try to match up well against each other. And they're just going to go with their primary lineups and just see how, you know, see how the post battle for the Lakers compares to the fluidity and you know playmaking that the Clippers have. Um, and it's going to, it's probably going to be, I mean, it's, it's a good chance these are the two best teams in the NBA for everything that we've said about the Sixers and the Bucks probably getting better. Um, you know, that, but these in, in Houston, I mean, who the hell knows? Houston is a giant crapshoot and they might Denver. have to blow that entire team up. And then, yeah, of course, Denver and Utah, who are you know, our two favorite sleeper picks. But the Lakers and the Clippers just seem so combustible. There's just so much they the way that the Warriors give you that feeling of when they're on the floor the last couple of years, you just think you can see like the peak of explosive basketball. I think those are the two teams that give you that feeling more than anyone. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Although, I mean, like, like I mentioned, like Denver to me, if they do take the next step would be, should be right up there. And that's exciting because it kind of follows along with what David Griffin was talking about is wanting to, to develop, give teams time and, and seasons to forge an identity and overcome obstacles and all those things. Kind of like the way they used to do. It's very rare. It kind of feels like um, to do that. Although I guess you can argue the Warriors did that. They except before they added uh, Kevin Durant, they did have several seasons together to, you know, learn how to play with each other, uh, learn how to win. Um, and it's, it's nice. It's refreshing. Hopefully we'll get more of that. And, you know, certainly if you want to look at the, the Pelicans versus the, the Nuggets as another game on Christmas Day, uh, it's an interesting matchup, too, because um, I, I guess the biggest thing with the Pelicans is we just don't really know how it's all going to work. To me, on paper, it should be really good. Like, they should be a playoff team. Uh, they should be somewhere in the middle. And at any given night, they could maybe play with their heads and give anybody a, a hard time. Okay, well, let's figure out what the Pelicans' rotation is going to be. So, starting lineup, Drew, is it Redick over Lonzo Ball, most likely? Ooh. And then Ingram, Williamson, and Favors. Is that, would you agree that's the starting um, lineup? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, they're going to start Favors and then Jackson Hayes off the bench. Um, Brandon Ingram, Ball. 
I don't know about Reddick starting. I, I might like Reddick coming off the bench and, and snipering and, you know, all that stuff. I wonder, it's interesting to see what's going to happen because Ball, I'm just thinking the defensive ability they might have would be so much more really exciting to me um, with yeah. Ball starting. Yeah, and so it, you know, it's a matter, this is kind of those that question of balance that you have is like, is it more important to have offensive balance or defensive balance as far as specialties? So like, I feel like Reddick is the only guy in their starting lineup that would be a really good three-point shooter. Everybody else is, I mean, Zion can't shoot threes yet no. effectively. Ingram is extremely inconsistent, so although small. he does. I mean, Ingram, if he figures his shot mechanics out, because he definitely has a lot of work to do, we, you know, we thought he would be a borderline Paul George level player coming into the league as far as shot profile. So there's still potential there. And then Drew Holiday is, is, is a decent shooter, but not, not great. Yeah, um, you're right. And then, you know what? You have a good point there, but I, yeah. yeah. So, but the specialty, Oh boy, I was going to instantly say, no, specialization should be for the offense. You want that guy like Reddick to come in and just light it up from behind the arc. But uh, maybe you're right. Maybe the specialty is you, you bring the guy on who's a defensive you know, guy who like can alter the rhythm of the other team and shut down somebody they need him to do. Uh, that, that might actually be more interesting. That, that might end up leading to Reddick starting. And then you know, he probably – maybe Reddick only plays like the 24 minutes a game you know, when he starts and he gets his two runs – in the first and third quarter, and then he, maybe he finishes or whatever. But then they give they give ball a lot of the minutes in between and, and stuff like that. That could that could be the solution too. I can see that. You know, and then for the bench rotation, they have Josh Hart, Etwan Moore, Darius Miller. I thought was looking pretty nice, and Kenrick Williams. I thought was looking pretty nice. I think we're both fans of of those guys, right? So, you know, they've got they've got so much guard depth. It's insane. Um, and then. Frank Jackson looked pretty solid at summer league, so maybe he'll get some run. And then right. it's not that deep though. Alexander Walker was a mid summer league, so they've got like just they're absolutely stacked at the basically like the guard slash wing position. And then all they have for big depth is Okafor and Jackson Hayes, so That's they don't okay. really have. There's not much of like an in between as far as like guys that are kind of in the Zion slash Ingram, you know, mold to back those guys up. So they have to go really small whenever they go to the bench. And that makes me think that having Lonzo coming off the bench with his defensive prowess and his ability to handle, I think that makes a lot more sense when then you can surround him with some of these other guys that are good defenders. I hear you. Yeah. I think, I think now the more I'm thinking about the more you're right, probably in the more, uh, if you want to get the most out of Reddick, it sounds like uh, you start him and then figure that out from there. Um, you know, I, I just feel like, the Sixers gave they, they gave too much uh, for, for Reddick to do. He had to dribble too much. He had to kind of like, be, you know, and I guess that was because they were just, you know, they would kept they kept Simmons down low a little bit more. And all of a sudden Reddick is coming off of handoffs and dribbling three times and then trying to shoot. And it just frustrated me to watch him have to work that hard. He shouldn't. He's just not his thing anyway. So, um, so yeah, so I would suppose if you wanted Reddick to get, to get the best out of him and he starts and then ball can kind of do whatever and get, you know, he'll, he'll still get his, you know, 28, 30 minutes anyway, uh, if he can stay healthy and maybe that's even, it's probably even better for him in his ankles, whatever, just to give him the 28 instead of the 32 and, uh, and then see how that goes. And then Zion, you gotta be a little bit worried about his health too, but they're going to be a fun team. And, you know, there's, I think, yeah, there's going to be nights where they're all kind of clicking and they're all having fun and it's going to be up and down really fast and teams are going to have a hard time with them. But, um, but yeah, though, I don't know, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I, I'm worried about their depth too. And that might not, that might be, uh, I don't know that the, uh, the nuggets could look at that game and be like, we're going to make a big statement here and, uh, yeah. and really, really hammer them. 
I am really excited to see Zion against Paul Millsap because those guys at the moment are kind of similar. You know, Zion's like a, a burly, athletic, well-moving four essentially at this point. Obviously, and I've been on the Zion train for years, so I'm not I'm not discounting him. His potential to turn into a LeBron-like player is is pretty good. Um, but you know, him and Millsap, I think at this point could probably match up fairly similarly, and so it'll be really cool to see Zion for one of the few times that you see all year go up against a guy that has comparable power and, you know, and balance to be able to really go up against them. Yeah. I think Millsap used to be a little more like that. Oh, he's older for sure. Yeah. But you're right. People probably have forgotten that 10 years ago, Millsap was a beast in, in, in that in a mold, mold like that where he really didn't go outside at all. Well, no, more, more like three or four years ago, not 10 years ago. I mean, uh, his know, best season was a season was two, well, three years ago when he was with Atlanta and was one of the best defenders in the league. Uh, so yes, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking in the early early in his career where he was, you know, he was more like Zion. You know what I mean? In in Utah, where he was burly and he would use his athletic ability and just get to the basket and and score. Versus even in Atlanta, he was a little bit more varied. But okay, either way. Sure. So okay, so I I got to run in a couple of minutes here. So let's let's just go to the Bucks Sixers matchup because that that's obviously the, probably the you know the what decides who the favorite is for coming out of the East. Okay. And what what are your thoughts at this point on after losing Malcolm Brogdon, where the Bucks stand? Are they still the best team in the East, or do you think the Sixers, after the moves they made, are probably the best on paper? And I, I mean, I don't know because on paper I'm still a little bit concerned about what the Sixers did. And at the very least, the Bucks did, um, you know, they did keep most everybody back. And if they don't keep uh, Brogdon, they did keep George Hill, who I, you know, I listen, he's older and all, but he's steady. So I kind of like that, even though he certainly couldn't produce like Brogdon could do last year. So um, I don't know if it moves the needle enough for me. So let me just refresh my memory here with the Sixers. So they, they added uh, Horford, and I still don't know exactly how that's going to work alongside Embiid. He's obviously going to have to come off the bench. He's not starting, right? No, of course he's starting. He's starting at the fort, which is what he's been wanting this whole time anyway. Oh, all right. Well, then I'm, I'm yeah. troubled by that, even though I know he can move well on defense and whatever, and he can stretch the floor. I mean, I don't know. Something about it in my mind's eye is my, my antenna is going up. I don't seem to like them being and Horford together, but okay. I disagree um, with that. I mean, Horford, he's a good, he's a really good shooter from the elbows. He's a, he's good at moving the ball and he's a, he's brilliant at coordinating the offense. So I think he's perfect to put next to Embiid. I think the concern is that Simmons and Horford are both kind of power forwards. And so it's going to be difficult, you know, figuring out how you, able, I mean, it, what it means is that you have to, it's just that Ben Simmons has to be your ball handler because it's Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris next to him. You no longer have Jimmy Butler second playmaker so definitely in trouble with that from that regard but they're probably just gonna have, to, gonna have to play through Horford because Horford is a great playmaker in his own right even though he's obviously a very different one than Butler so but you know when that team works against Milwaukee because Horford is one of the best matchups in the league on Giannis although obviously every year the Horford gets older it's going to be harder and harder and every year the Giannis gets closer to his beak it's going to be harder and harder to guard him um, but that takes a lot of pressure off of Simmons and vice versa, and that Simmons and Horford can interchange. And actually, I forgot about Simmons. Simmons is probably the other guy that would be like perfect matchup physically, physically against Giannis. So they they can match up against Giannis pretty well, which makes me think that they're probably the favorite in that matchup. Interesting. I mean, I, I guess yes. Um, 
And especially if without Brogdon, you know, just one less playmaker, they have to rely a little bit more on Bledsoe. I think it's well documented how I feel about him. So, um, gosh, uh, I don't know. Did you just convince me? I mean, certainly your, your Celtics blood is coming out here to defend Horford. Um, and, and we'll see. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't think I have a lot of faith right now in how Brett Brown is going to be able to construct that offense to make it work optimally. I don't even think, I'm not sure Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are really the duo. It's going to get them to the top anyway. Uh, this was probably the last year they're going to try it. And if it doesn't, if it fizzles out again, then I would break him up, uh, after this year. So, um, but then again, the Bucks are a little bit vulnerable, vulnerable too. I have to kind of see how that plays out. Uh, who do they? They didn't get anybody besides just signing Middleton, right? And losing uh, uh, Brogdon. And they got they got Corver. So oh, right. you know, that that's, okay. They got Corver. Very different replacement. And then they got Wes Matthews. So you know, another he's yeah. kind of a poor man's Brogdon at this point. And then Robin Lopez. And oh, I forgot they got oh, John right. Luer as well. He's a solid rotation guy. John Luer from uh, Detroit. He's yeah. a solid you know backup yeah. four. Okay. All right. No, that's that's true. They did some things. They they did the kind of things you do when you're like a championship level team, and you add a couple pieces like those, like Corver or whatever. I, I could see that. So okay, yeah. and they're bringing yeah. back Divincenzo, who they drafted last year and was hurt. Oh, I so really, really he, like yes, and he'll be healthy yeah. again. Uh, I hope. So yeah, you know what? I like the Bucks. I think, I think the Bucks are. Uh, I would put them over the Sixers right now for sure. Except that so, they had they have three guards and they let go of the best of them. So right. they just well, shouldn't have played. They should not have given that contract to Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe's value declined after they gave him that contract. It was a huge mistake. I don't understand why they did that. I thought I would much rather play pay Brogdon 20 million than pay both of those guys 10 million or whatever it is that they're paying. Well, you can have Seth part now come on the show and, uh, and answer that question <laughs> for us. Now he's with the athletic. That's right. I'll, I'm sure he will tell me to go f myself yeah. if I try to ask him about it. It's public. <laughs> I think I have his number still somewhere. So all right. Well, um, no, all right. I, I'll invite him on to the next one. Yeah, you can. You, I, I, he's on a couple of other podcasts uh, in a long time ago. So. Anyhow, well, listen, great stuff. Uh, always glad to meet up with you in the middle of the summer and talk hoops. And um, I don't know anything else coming up on the athletic. You're going to be writing. Um. I'm not going to talk about this one yet, but what I'm okay. working on right now, if it comes to fruition, is going to be big. Awesome. So, well, very excited for it. Good luck for that. Get back in the pool. I'm going to try and finish this damn Jeremy Lin video I've been working on. It's going to be over 20 minutes of Jeremy Lin-ness. You know what? One might even call it Lin Sanity. Uh, it's what I've been going through for the last week. So I'll get that out hopefully today or tomorrow. And um, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm in the pool. <laughs>